Hello and welcome back to Tuesday at Dobbs's. You'll notice, finally, I'm into the new property. Apologies if you can hear, and I can even hear it now, a bit of an echo. That's because we still need a bit of furniture to place around the room and soften the noise a little bit. But I would say we're 90% there. It feels very, very good to finally be unpacked. Thank you as always everyone for getting in touch sharing all of your thoughts and opinions. The comment section below, as always, is the best place for that. But if you've got a longer story, maybe with some pictures, hi at tuesdayatdobbs.com and an Instagram page that I admit I have been pathetically lazy with lately. It's just because, well, I was going to make an excuse. Moving is very time consuming, but honestly, there should be no pathetic excuses like that. I will start to post more on that. Let's get down to it. Future Classics. This is from last week where I, I did what I called the definitive list of upcoming future classics. Bikes that help to define a generation and that in maybe five years time, all of the people that bought those bikes, maybe in the 1990s, would start lusting over them now that they've maybe retired and or got a bit more money. That list that I made was predominantly sports bikes and it was a slightly more controversial list than I thought. It got a very mixed reaction. I'll be completely honest, I thought most people would say, yes, that's spot on, the Fireblade, the the GPZ 900, these kinds of bikes, Freddie, these are the exact bikes that I remember riding and this will be a future classic imminently. I expected to get that reaction. But the reaction on the whole, if I'm taking it as a whole, was very different. People seem to think that in general, the, at best, the potential for, for classic motorbikes, for appreciating classics is, is uncertain. A lot of people seem to think there just isn't money in motorbikes if you're looking at it from an appreciation point of view. I've tried to streamline down your collective opinion into, into two insights here, possibly three actually. Let me share them now and I hope this sums it up nicely, your thoughts on classics and looking at bikes as an investment. I begin from Pete. Freddie, Senior video on future classics. In this world, it's just pure speculation as to what might reach the higher prices. There are a lot of factors against these bikes that you're talking about going up in value, such as being very difficult to get parts and that they're sports bikes and the speed limits are coming down, which makes them completely useless in the world we live in today. With speed cameras everywhere, people just want new technology and also the big factor, if they abolish E5 fuel, they will not run on E10. It will just wreck the carburetors and the fuel lines. And as the old saying goes, it's better to ride a slow bike fast than a fast bike slow. I know that you are talking about future investment, but that is just pure speculation. If you don't mind missing the money, then by all means take the gamble, but I am not a gambler. Freddie, these bikes you mentioned are cheap for a reason. Proper investments are the ones that motorcycle museums have, and don't forget they are just for display purposes for the public to view. Sometimes they might make money on them if they decide to sell. 
To conclude, we're at a crossroads here at the moment as to which way things go or which way things are going to go for motorcycles. And trust me, the government always gets what they want. We elect them every five years to govern over us and that's exactly what they do. So whether it be electric or synthetic fuel, I don't see any hope for being able to make money on old motorcycles. And that's from Pete. Moving on to Rover Chap, I do not think we're going to see the sort of price explosion with bikes from the 1990s and onwards that we've seen from those of the 60s to 80s. The simple reason is the relatively small customer base. You see, motorcycles peaked in the UK at around 1980. This is incredible, really incredible, with around 300,000 new machines sold in around 1980 in the UK. It then dropped sharply and has never recovered those sorts of sales, due mainly to the demographic changing and the barriers to entry from licensing regulations. High classic prices are driven by those wealthier older men who remember their youth on bikes. Just take a look around. We are dying out. There aren't the number of Generation X, Z slash millennial bikers out there to fuel the demand for later bikes. So with specific regards to the Kawasaki GPZ900R, it was tipped as an emerging classic as far back as 2004. However, prices have gone nowhere. Whereas a Z1 Kawasaki from the 70s has gone from 5K to 25K. Eke signum, or is that ecce signum? I never know if it's Latin or Italian. There is the proof. I find this really interesting because 70s Japanese bikes, a number of these are exploding in value. But like Rover Chap said, will this translate to the bikes that I looked at last week? Because I looked at the class-leading bikes, for example, from the 1990s, the likes of the Fireblade, and I just assumed that this bike is going to be a future classic because it was a class-defining bike of its era. However, however, people now, and I'm being relative here, relatively speaking, they don't like sports bikes. Does that mean that now, because people don't like sports bikes, it means that they won't like classic sports bikes. Does it translate from brand new sports bikes to classic sports bikes? Because if it does, then you're absolutely right. The Fireblade that I said was a bang on thing, a surefire future classic, the 1992 Fireblade. Well, if people's lack of interest in sports bikes now is translated to those classics, then you're absolutely right. Maybe there is a chance that the original Gen 1 Fireblade won't make it to genuine classic status. And I've got one other point here. If we look at these 1970s Japanese bikes, the really desirable ones from the mid 70s, the, some of the Kawasaki's, a couple of the Yamaha's and the Honda's, let's look at those with some of the prices going up to 16K or so. But what happens when this generation the, let's say, the 60 to 70-year-old bikers who remember these old 1970s bikes from their, from their youth. What happens when they die out? Will that love and interest of 1970s Japanese bikes translate over 
to the next generation? Will the next generation still have an interest in those 1970s Japanese bikes? Or will values plummet because the generation that have a connection to those bikes from their youth will all have died out? then the younger generation won't have that connection to those bikes. It, it will be almost meaningless. So will values start to plummet? I move on to the US. Freddie, being in the UK as you are, I was wondering if you'd ever heard of Janus Motorcycles. They are a US company from Goshen, Indiana. They build bikes that look like they're 100 years old. They don't have dealerships. You either pick yours up at the factory or you have it delivered. Everything's hand-built by craftsmen and women. No robots. This week, I placed a deposit on one and they will begin construction soon. The folks, or the forks, sorry, are Earl-style leading link. The frame is based on the Norton featherbed design. The rear suspension is very similar to the original Vincent the engine, based on the Honda XR400, but now a 450 built by SWM, it's fuel injected, so you should like that. There are no rider aids. The brakes aren't even ABS since it's not required in the US. You go to the website, pick all the options you want, the color, the pinstripes, the luggage, etc. Right now they said it will be 10 weeks to complete mine. This is the picture that the computer generated based on my choices. Pictured now, the top speed is 90 miles an hour. It's got a 60 miles per gallon, or it does 60 miles per gallon with a two gallon tank. A rear seat is optional, but I have other bikes for that. I hope you like it. If you're ever in North Carolina, I'll let you ride it. Daniel, I will hold you to that. I've never heard of Janice motorcycles, but I have been looking today. I've never seen a new bike look anything like this. They look incredible. I've gone onto the website here, Janus Motorcycles, and then you can, in essence, pick from a number of base model bikes and then adapt as you wish. But I love the fact that here, I'm on the Where It's All Made page. And it says Janus components, components made in-house. And it lists every single element of the bike that's made in-house. That's the wiring harness, the, the frame, the fenders, front forks, tank, etc., etc. So an impressive amount is made in-house. Then they list the domestic suppliers. So everything made in the US and shipped to them or sent to them, the likes of the drive chain, switch and controls, and the grips from Biltwell. And then at the end, they list the international suppliers, the likes of the engine, the air filter, the carburetor. Interesting. And you can go onto the website, have a look at all of that, and then you can pick the kind of bike you like. So if I click on the Halcyon 450, for example, pops this base bike to work with. So it starts from $15,000, it's 365 pounds, top speed 90 miles an hour. You click on new motorcycle inventory and then you've got a list of bikes here and they all look incredible. And at the top left-hand side, it says, build your own. And here we go, you choose from a, a Griffin 250, Halcyon 250 or a Halcyon 450. Well, this 450, really, really interests me. 
all of the colors listed here. You've got five, 10, 15, 15 different colors. You pick pinstriping, you pick, you pick the wheel pipeline, the feather, logo, color. You pick the finishing touches, you pick the kind of fuel tank that you want, the exhaust you want, handlebars. Oh, it looks brilliant. I mean, I hope this company's doing well because to have something this refreshing you know, built in the US, a lot of the components built in the US, something that looks so beautiful. I can imagine that there is nothing more fun than riding one of these bikes. Daniel, I bet you are counting down the days. And the one you've picked with all of the options, that lime green tank contrasting with the brown seat. And again, the lime green front and back mudguards, little brown pannier on the back with the swept back bars. Oh, that is art, that is beautiful. For me, this is a really exciting direction bikes are potentially going. This is even more retro than any of the retros in the mainstream market. It's pushing things on again. Oh, it's fantastic, I love it. Daniel, I move on, that's brilliant, thank you. On to Stephen in County Down, Northern Ireland. Freddie, I sold my Himalayan a few months ago and bought a Honda CB1100. Already I've put 1,500 miles on it and to say I'm happy with my purchase, it would be an understatement. The CB1100 has just jumped out at me. They look beautiful, they're so smooth and grunty and give me that connection to my youth. They can be found for four and a half thousand pounds, mine cost five grand, and for the quality and performance, Nothing comes close to matching that value. But when the dust has settled on it all, they're just brilliant bikes. Stephen, these are, and I've never ridden one, but these are one of my picks for surely one of the, the most underrated, I say modern classics, modern-ish classic bikes. Beautifully styled, stunning looking quality. Really, really sublime quality, as good as, if not better, than anything else on the market. But relatively speaking, especially in Europe, they never sold. You know, I often think with Honda, please make a really classic looking bike of something of real beauty, just like the old Hondas from the 70s. Make one of those and it will be a sales phenomenon. Well, they made it and no one bought it. Stephen, it's beautiful. Moving on to Emmanuel. Emmanuel from Manila. Freddie, I'm already celebrating one year with my Kawasaki Z650 RS. That's the 50th anniversary edition. I'm very happy with it. Using it frequently to commute to work because traffic in Manila is one of the world's worst, if not the worst. And regularly on weekends for breakfast rides in the suburbs and occasional longer rides with my high school classmates, most of whom own Triumphs and BMWs. This bike is a keeper. Love the colors on that, Emmanuel. Beautiful, beautiful bike. On to Dale. Freddie, having a bit more time on my hands, I decided to teach myself welding, and what better project than a hard tail chopper? Welding, wiring, and the joy of customizing my own bike from scratch seemed to be a great idea. Of course, the engine had to be a carb engine and the Honda VT650 with single carb was an ideal heart to the bike. 
I'm really enjoying the project and have even made my own bars, pictures attached, and it's also given me a newfound knowledge of how a bike works without all of the sensors and computers. I would encourage anyone to have a go if you have room. If I had a garage, Dale, or a lockup, I would love to do something like that. And now that winter's very nearly here, perfect place to spend those cold, dark nights. Cup of coffee, cup of tea, project bike there in a lockup where you don't need to worry about sp space. Just keep it there, do a little bit every day and don't worry about it. No time limits on it, nothing like that. Just enjoy. On to JB in Scotland. Freddie, I picked up an XSR 700X Tribute Scrambler, as you know, and started a bit of light green laning, that's off-roading, and adventuring. The XR does a great job, helped by its lightweight Scrambler Pirelli tires, and now with plenty of AD of adventure bits. The first thousand miles done on the Wii XSR, and I have to say, I love riding it through the autumn winter, wading through foot deep water, slippery green lanes, gravel, and mud. JB, I love this because it proves that biking in the winter is still fun. Wear the right gear, warm enough, waterproof enough, and it's still a joy to ride. What I love in general as well is all of this. This is coming up to winter riding. If you're lucky enough, in the UK, we never get amazing weather in the summer, but we never get appallingly atrocious winter or weather in the winter. So you can ride all year round. It's brilliant. On to Grant from sunny Lancashire. Freddie, despite what most assume when they see me aboard my Suzuki SV650, pictured, I'm not a novice rider. Without blowing my own trumpet, I can hold my own on a track day in the advanced group. The bikes I've owned are as follows. Yamaha Phaser 600, Yamaha Thunder Ace 1000, Honda Fireblade, Suzuki GSX-R 750, Triumph 1050 Sprint, Royal Enfield 650, BMW R1100 GS and a 1200 GS. I was looking for a cheap bike to use, mainly for commuting. Mostly bikes within my budget were small single cylinder machines, but then, then I spotted a dealership. Grant, this is incredible. I spotted a dealership offer, brand new Suzuki SVs for 5,990 pounds on the road, which came inclusive with a three-year Suzuki service plan and three-year warranty. A sub £6,000 bike, 650cc, three years servicing, three years warranty, Japanese build quality. That's a phenomenally good deal. I continue. It doubles up as a great weekend toy and B-road scratcher. It puts a smile on my face every time I ride it, even if it's a wet Monday morning commute to work. I've total faith in its reliability and know it will take all of the abuse one can throw at it. They may be a bit long in the tooth now, but what a mighty little machine. Long live the SV650, a true legend in my opinion. You know, Grant, they really have been around forever. I mean, at least from a looks point of view, these 650s, 
SV650s that have just sat in the Suzuki lineup, almost unchanged seemingly, and they've just sat there, the little unassuming bike in Suzuki's lineup. And everyone I speak to about Suzuki SVs shares glowing, glowing feedback on what they're like to live with. I move on to Lee. Oh, Lee. I'm getting this picture up now as I discuss. Hello. Oh. Hello from Christchurch, New Zealand. Here is my custom 2005 Ducati SS. I saw this bike about a week and a half ago when I was at TTT Motorcycles, and I said, this for me is possibly the best looking Ducati that I've ever seen. <sighs> this is stunning, beautiful black paintwork, just with the classic Ducati writing, silver strip on the tank, completely, completely stripped back, apart from that beautifully sculpted fairing on the top, but the bottom half of the engine, trellis frame, everything exposed. Oh, it's a stunning machine. And I tell you what, if we're talking about potential future classics, and I need to be careful saying that because it's, it's dubious saying any bikes are future classics. I, I will learn from the feedback, but oh my Lord, if, if future classics in modern terms are possible, then surely this will be an appreciating classic. It may well be appreciating as we speak. I haven't actually checked, but that is a seriously special bike. Moving on to Tom in Southampton. Freddie, fast forward to my mid forties and I've owned numerous bikes in my time from 125cc, 500s and 1100s of all marks. My current stable consists of a Royal Enfield Interceptor and a Kawasaki ZZR 1100. The two bikes couldn't be more different, but I enjoy the contrast in riding experience. My favorite bike has got to be the lesser spotted, what is this, Suzuki Goose 350. You heard me right, Goose. It was a Japanese import of 33 horsepower, which I rode on my restricted license and love that bike, or loved that bike, until it was stolen in 2012. It rarely gets a mention online and is a true cafe racer style bike, but now incredibly rare. Have you ever heard of it? Tom, I actually, I haven't checked this now. So I'm typing in Suzuki Goose 350 and I'm reading here from motorcyclespecs.co.za. Essentially the Goose is a tuned version of the DR350. You know what I love? If you go on to suzuki.com, Suzuki's brilliant for this. If you've got a, a Suzuki, whatever it may be, put it into the Suzuki website. And Suzuki have a brilliant web page of pretty much every single bike they've ever made. And they've got the entire history and description of that bike. So here I am on globalsuzuki.com, typed in Goose 350. Up pops, 1991 Goose 350, and all of the details. Single cylinder, super sport bike, packed with the latest technology. I've never seen one in my life. I'll just read the last sentence here, Suzuki's website. The name Goose is inspired by the famous Gooseneck Corner on the Isle of Man TT racing course. 
Brilliant, brilliant. Thank you so much, Tom, for sending that over. And I move on. I move on to Nick, veteran Nick. This is a, the brilliant pics here. Take a look at these pics as I discuss this. Freddie, I'm back from my week riding a BMW R1200GS around Arizona with motorelief.org. It was an incredible experience. Great company with fellow veterans, great weather, great scenery, great rides. But what surprised me most was just, here we go. Here we go, Nick. Everyone says it when they try them. What surprised me most was just how much I fell in love with the GS. I'm now a fan of telelever suspension, linked brakes, comfort, ease of riding, and great handling off-road. I know we didn't do anything extreme, but what we did ride was handled really well. Also, when it comes to picking it up, it is made easier because the placement of the cylinders and protection means that the bike's about a third of the way up before you start lifting. As well as riding, we completed workshops each evening after having a family-style meal. It's not designed to solve our PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, issues or other injuries, but it has made a hell of a difference in my life. It's helped me to realize that whether it's picking my bike up, I dropped it five times over the week, or picking myself up, I'm not alone and our veteran family is global. I'm truly grateful to my American brothers for welcoming me, accepting me, and supporting me, and I hope to do the same someday. I was the second British Army veteran to do this, but they have also had Australians and Canadians too. It's hard to ride a bike and feel miserable, plus the extra concentration I need for the trails meant that there was no room for tortured memories. I've made some great friends and hope to ride with them again someday. They also do relief rides for women, which is popular, and rides for first responders, so not just military. Thoroughly recommend. And that's from Nick. Nick, these pictures are absolutely ah, glorious. I move on. Actually, this is perfect. If it's good enough for the army, and I'm so sorry, let me see, I don't think I've saved your name. Huge apologies, I haven't saved your name. I begin, Freddie, I got this from Nathan the Postman's YouTube channel, but thought you might appreciate it as you've mentioned getting some waterproofs recently. He pointed out that you can get military surplus Gore-Tex jackets and trousers for 20 pounds or so on eBay. And being Gore-Tex, you know they have to pass stringent tests to be allowed to put Gore-Tex on the label. And being military, they have to pass even more tests. I bought an RAF jacket and German army trousers for the grand total of 35 pounds, and they've been excellent and fold up really small. Plus you can add a fleece liner if you want to track those down. Matt, and that's from Matt, currently sitting in Shanghai airport, having been delayed for a day due to a cancellation. Oh, that's painful, Matt. Matt, I had some, I had a quick look at this. In fact, I had more than a quick look because I got more and more intrigued by this with the more ex-military outfits that I had a look at. If you type in 
in essence, ex, ex military, ex service, waterproofs, Gore-Tex Gore jackets, something like that, something around ex services, ex military, Gore-Tex waterproofs. You can go onto eBay or you can go onto a straight Google search. You'll find a huge list of these things. You can, of course, get the stuff that you'd imagine, the camouflage type stuff. But for me personally, I'd want something slightly more stealth. And these were available in abundance as well. I'll do two examples here, and I would genuinely buy this for myself. This is the first off eBay. British Military Army, Ministry of Defense, Guard Service, Gore-Tex, large black coat jacket. Beautiful, completely stealth, looks a little bit like a classic barber jacket, and it's currently £17.50 or best offer. It looks amazing. One more I found. Have a look at this site, forcesuniformandkit.co.uk. I found an Austrian Army Gore-Tex over jacket, Alpine, serviceable. Again, it looks great. It's got a hoodie. It has a waist, an elasticated waist in the middle, so you can set it to your exact size. And it's got under the features section, serviceable, so it will have marks, signs of use or discoloration, as well as professional repairs. In some rare cases, the jackets may also have missing, broken zips, lifted Velcro or toggles, etc. So they may not be perfect, but you're going to get seriously heavy duty gear. And again, if it's good enough for the army, then I'm sure it'll be good enough for bike rides. Moving on, when you find a keeper, a bike that sometimes you can't always explain and you may not always expect to be the keeper, the bike that you can't sell. But it's just something about these bikes. This is from Stanley. Freddie, I still have my 1999 BMW R1150 GS, purchased new when they were announced for a trip across North Africa. This was a while before the long way round. I planned to sell it on my return as availability was poor with the long, uh, and with a long waiting list and secondhand prices were actually higher than list at the time. It's 25 years old next year, has shared the garage with more than a dozen bikes over the years that have all come and gone. But this is the only one I cannot part with. Every ride is an event. Last week, I rode the new BMW GS 1300. It's like an 1150, but with no soul or character, but heaps more electrics and power. Interesting. I'm going to wrap it up here. All the way over in the US, Steve. Bike of the week. Okay, get ready for this. Freddie, why do you think only Japanese sports bikes are the only bikes that are going to appreciate in value? All Japanese sports bikes are the same. They all have about the same horsepower and all look the same. Soulless machines covered in plastic. Don't get me wrong, there are good Japanese bikes that offer speed and class. The Honda CBX, Suzuki Katana, 
H2Z1000, etc. But Freddie, if you want a bike that will always, always appreciate in value, then you need anything. Harley Davidson. My personal pick is my 1998 FLSTS Heritage Springer black with red stripes. They made them only, get ready for this, they made them only for three years. One year only in that exact paint combo. 1997 was the first year with the new old Springer styling. Now that's the key, the new old Springer styling. My bike is 25 years old and the prices are only going up every year. You can buy a Harley, ride it for most of your life and sell it for a profit. Unlike the guys that buy gold rings and end up in the dumpsters. You know, Steve, I, I honestly find it impossible to, to disagree with you. If you want a bike that will actually genuinely hold its value, you really cannot go wrong with Harley Davidson. And I didn't become aware of this, Steve, really genuinely aware of it at least on the UK market, of this bike you speak of, the Heritage Springer, until a few months ago when a friend of mine, Danny in Ipswich, he, he said, Freddie, have you seen this, this Harley Davidson on, on Auto Trader at the time? And it was this, I think it was a 1998 Heritage Springer. Looks like a normal modernish Harley Davidson, but with these springs at the front holding on the headlamps right in front of the forks. And I thought that is the most beautiful looking Harley Davidson I have ever seen in my life. And the fact that you've got enough of the modern day reliability, but with that real, real old school look with the Springer front end, and the fact that they made them for such a short amount of time, this would go into my list as one of the most beautiful Harley Davidsons I think they've made. I think these are unspeakably special bikes. I found a couple here, and these are really difficult to find, by the way. So you have to type in, I would suggest typing in FLST Heritage Springer, and up will pop the relevant bikes. You can go to Europe and have a bigger selection of bikes. And you'll see anything there from about 13,000 euros up to about 20,000 euros or so. I mean, some of these really are starting to go for massive money. But I found one, a 2002 model, Harley Davidson Heritage Springer FLST. So this must be, I'm assuming the final year they made these. Private seller, in red, I'm not going to lie, that is not my favorite color, but maybe I could do something about that. But just looking at that front end with the beautiful 1450cc engine. Oh, that bike. If ever a bike was art, then it's that Ducati I discussed earlier, and it's this Springer right now. If I had the money, oh, I'd take one of those, Steve. And that is a just a beautiful, beautiful bike for the week. I will wrap it up there. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening and watching this week's episode. Have a brilliant week all, and I'll speak to you all in the next one.